بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد اللهم لا علم لنا إلا ما علمتنا إنك أنت العليم الحكيم اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما وعملا يا كريم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل لقدة من لساني يفقه قولي All praises belong to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala We praise him and we seek his assistance and we seek his forgiveness and we seek refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the evil of our souls and the adverse consequences of our deeds whomsoever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decrees guidance upon then none can misguide him and whomsoever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decrees misguidance upon then none can guide him and peace and salutations be upon the final messenger Muhammad ibn Abdullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. I bear witness that there is no one worthy of worship besides one Allah and that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam is his messenger. My dear brothers and fathers, assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Indeed all praises belong to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for creating everything that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created and for granting a special precedence to parts of his creation subhanahu wa ta'ala over other parts. Thus Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the months of the year. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted a special precedence to one month out of the 12 months known as the month of Ramadan. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is reported to have said, Sayyidu shuhur shahar Ramadan. That the best of all months is the month of Ramadan. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in his book, وَاللَّهُ يَخْلُقُ مَا يَشَاءُ وَيَخْتَارُ مَا كَانَ لَهُمُ الْخِيَارَةِ That indeed it is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who creates what he wills, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that gives this precedence to parts of his creation over other parts of his creation. And the same can be said with humankind, with jinkind, with the angels, with the days of the year, with the days in the week, we see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives a special precedence to some angels over others. And He's given a special precedence to some days in the week over others, and some days in the year over others, and some nights in the year over others. Thus indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates what He wills, and He chooses that which He wills subhanahu wa ta'ala. This month of Ramadan that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has declared to be the best of all months is a month that Allah will cause to enter upon our lives in a few days time. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala preserve us in His obedience, ameen, and grant us health to diligently witness the month of Ramadan. This month of Ramadan, a month that was made or a month that was associated with many important factors in the Sharia, such as fasting and such as the revelation of the Quran. This month Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made synonymous with fasting or made fasting part of the month in an obligatory way in the second year after the migration of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to Medina. Thus Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam witnessed nine Ramadans and he fasted nine Ramadans. But in terms of fasting, and fasting being obligatory, we see 
that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought the obligation of fasting to this ummah in stages. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was nurturing this ummah to accept the concept of staying away from that which they desire, which is food and drink and uh, marital pleasures. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala nurtured the ummah in accepting this obligation by first making the fasting of Ashura, which is the 10th of Muharram, compulsory. So at the beginning, the only compulsory fast was the 10th of Muharram, which was Ashura. After that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made fasting the month of Ramadan compulsory in two stages. First, in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala making this month compulsory, however, giving us a choice. And we find this lesson in the first ayat that I recited in the first raka'ah of salah today. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَمَنْ شَهِدَ مِنْكُمُ فَلْيَصُمْ Allah says, the one who witnesses the month, you must fast it. When this ayah was revealed, fasting the 10th of Muharram became voluntary. Its obligation was lifted. And the obligation of fasting was transferred to the month of Ramadan. However, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala goes on to say that in this month, you must fast. However, you have a choice. If you don't want to fast, you must feed the poor. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed this ayah in uh, teaching the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam the presence of a choice. That you can fast the month or you can feed a poor person every day during this month. But then Allah goes on to say, وَمَنْ تَطَوَّعَ خَيْرًا فَهُوَ خَيْرٌ لَهُ That for those who fasted instead of feeding the poor, then this is better for him. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even though He gave us a choice, He pushed the ummah and nurtured them towards choosing fasting over feeding the poor. Then after some time, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made the month of Ramadan compulsory without a choice. And we find this in the latter verses or the latter ayat that I recited in the first raka'ah, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says again, فَمَنْ شَهِدَ مِنْكُمُ الشَّهْرَ فَلْيَصُمْ The one who witnesses the month must fast. But after that, Allah didn't give the choice. Allah says, يُرِيدُ اللَّهُ بِكُمُ الْيُسْرُ Allah wants easiness for you. وَلَا يُرِيدُ بِكُمُ الْعُسْرُ Allah doesn't want anything difficult for you. So this is how Ramadan became compulsory upon the Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Now, in these ayat, O servants of Allah, and O children of Adam, we see hidden behind the ayat, behind the ayat, what I call tarbiyah, this concept of nurturing and development. Right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made fasting compulsory upon us in a developed way, where He slowly took us through our paces. But if we deliberate over the ayat itself, and how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made Ramadan compulsory for us, we see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala further nurturing us, nurturing our character, nurturing our ability in terms of inviting other people to Islam. Because remember, we are Muslims, and we, are, we have received this obligation from Allah. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals the obligation in a specific way, then this in, teaches us in turn how we should transfer the obligation that Allah has set upon everyone He has created in terms of worshipping only one Allah, and in terms of accepting the prophecy of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa that we should invite people to this obligation in a specific way as well.
If we lent a thought to how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the obligation of fasting, we see from the outset Allah says, Ya O you who believe. And this is the norm with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in addressing us as an ummah. At times, He addresses mankind at large. At times, He addresses the believers specifically. And indeed, in this particular case, the believers only deserve to be addressed because after the address was a command to worship. And from the conditions of any worship being accepted is that a person believes in one Allah and declares the prophecy of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa Because intention is necessary for any act of worship to be accepted. And a person who doesn't believe in Allah, then it is impossible for them to have any intention from the outset. So Allah appropriately addresses a specific group. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, O you who believe. Now, ponder over this specific mention at the beginning of these ayat. The one addressing us is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who declares himself as As-Samad. As-Samad refers to the one upon who everything is dependent upon. This is what As-Samad means. And, and many a time we recite it in Surah Al-Ikhlas, Allahu samad But many a time we don't realize the implication of exactly what we're reciting. And the praise that we're offering our Creator subhanahu wa ta'ala. We are announcing that Allah is As-Samad. He is the one upon who everything is dependent upon. There is no leaf on a branch, on a tree that shivers because of the wind passing it, except that that happens because As-Samad, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala willed it. There is no heart that beats and no blood that passes even a millimeter in the body of every creation that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created, except that it happens because As-Samad, the one upon who everyone is dependent upon, willed it, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah is As-Samad. But He calls out to us, we who are dependent and not independent, in the most beautiful of ways. Oh, you who believe. Oh, you who believe. Allah addresses us in the softest of ways. And for those who are privy and have some background knowledge to the Arabic language, this harf and nida or ya, as the scholars of the Arabic language say, or more specifically the scholars of the expressive side of the language known as balagha, they say that this ya, it prepares the one being spoken to, to receive instruction. In the softest of ways, meaning it's the best way to address a person. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can command us, but He addresses us with such importance. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah says, O oh, you who believe. Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu an, he says that whenever you read the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and you come across an ayah in which Allah says, O oh, you who believe, and if you are from amongst those that have declared Allah has one, and accepted the prophecy of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, then immediately pay attention, pay close attention. Why? Because after this instruction, after this beautiful address, you are going to receive a command towards something, or Allah is going to warn you against something. This is the sunnah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his book, when he begins his revelation with this form of address. And this is the same in this ayah. Allah says, كُتِبَ عَلَيْكُمُ الصِّيَامِ أَيْ فُرِضَ عَلَيْكُمُ الصِّيَامِ 
Allah says, fasting has been made obligatory upon you, has been prescribed upon you. So Allah comes with the beautiful instruction and then drops the reason why the instruction came through in the first place. Fasting has been made compulsory upon you. Now my dear brothers and sisters, Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah, in his Al-Bidayah wa Nihayah, his encyclopedic historical compilation, where he discusses everything that he came across from the time of Adam alayhi salam or his creation till the day of Qiyamah. He places it in this compilation. And he has a discussion. And he says when Allah created Adam alayhi salam, in his original form, Allah laid him. And the angels would pass by and look at Adam alayhi salam and see this new creation that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was about to bring life into. And from those that passed Adam alayhi salam was Iblis. And Iblis, because of his nature, he was not comfortable with this new creation. This jealousy that was intrinsic of the nature of Iblis began to manifest itself from the outset. So Iblis never was satisfied to just look at Adam, rather he entered the body. He entered the body. And when he entered the body, he saw that everything was formed and everything was there. And there were no gaps or no empty places except in one area. And this was the stomach area. And as cunning as he was, he took upon himself an understanding that the thing that Allah places in this gap here will be the weakness of this creation. The weakness of this creation. And if we ponder, my dear brothers and fathers, we, we, we will understand this. That you know, the, the stress that we have in, in, in becoming educated and getting a job is for the purpose of what we quote and quote say today, putting food on our table. Right? Even though I don't agree with the statement uh, in terms of a Muslim saying it, because a Muslim knows, لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله. There's no power, no might except from Allah. A Muslim never attributes any success to himself or herself. We always send it back to Allah. You know, we don't make a habit of saying it was my deal, or my intelligence, or my hard work, or my study. It's more befitting for a believer who has his or her heart attached to Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala, Rabbul Izzati wal Jalal, Al Wahid al Qahar, Al Ahad al Samad, it's more befitting for a believer to say all praises belong to Allah who inspired me to share this idea which gained this success who blessed me to pass my exams who set the situation that I may pass this job interview or get this job this is the way of the believer so we know as human beings, our weakness is our tummy. People steal to feed, to feed this tummy. And even when we talk about desires, by default, the human being points to his or her tummy. We do what we do for survival. And survival is associated to what we put in our bellies. Iblis immediately understood this. And we know the story about Adam alayhi salam and Hawa and the tree and how he cheated Adam alayhi salam in partaking from that tree which Allah told him not to. And what did Iblis use to beautify the situation for Adam? He said, this is a tree that if you partake from it, you'll never pass away, you'll never die. Meaning you'll never become hungry. Shajarat al-Khuld. Right? This will allow you to remain forever. You will become eternal. So Iblis saw this weakness. And this is true brothers and fathers. We have this weakness. Now imagine when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals upon the ummah that we are prescribing upon you fasting an entire month. And we are telling you to stay away from that which you sorely desire. 
You solely desire this food and drink and survival. What do you think happens amidst the ummah receiving this revelation, receiving this instruction? You're going to have many elements of society becoming concerned. Firstly, the element of the human being, him or herself receiving this instruction, will have a concern. Secondly, those who engage in difficult acts during their day, they might travel a lot, right? And they endure the difficulty of travel. They might have a concern about this, that what's going to happen to us during this month and our work and so on and so forth. And let's not forget that the journeys of those before used to happen throughout the hot desert uh, plains and there were sandstorms that would affect them and the great desert heat would affect them and the great desert cold would affect them. And we know from the seerah how Rasulullah would travel from Mecca to Medina and Medina back to Mecca and the journey would last over a month. It's amazing when they went for Hajj, the, the, the ihram was, was worn and the intention for Hajj was made at the Miqat near Medina. Right? Near Medina. So imagine they had to remain with the prohibitions of ihram throughout the journey which would last a month. And we find some of the narrations state that he, Rasulullah arrived into Mecca with the Sahaba on the 4th of Dhul Hijjah, even though the journey was started weeks before. So these people would have concern. Then we would have people who generally become sick, and this is everyone. They too would have concern that here Allah is talking about fasting an entire month. So these people would have concern. And then we have the elderly in the society who would have concern as well. That this is an entire month. People are becoming, if I can use the term, you know, hyper, they're experiencing hyperventilation. Why? Because there's all these facets now that enter your mind. There's all these questions and queries that enter your mind because here Allah has said fast. And then we have the chronically ill people, the terminally ill people, those who have sicknesses that will last till the end of their life. May Allah protect us from all sicknesses. Ameen. And may Allah shower cure upon all those who are sick. Ameen. So we have those also who receive this instruction and they feel this anxiety. So what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala go on to do? We see subhanallah in the ayah the most amazing form of address. The most amazing way to educate. You know the scholars of communication, for those who are into linguistics, they say for any sentence to be effectively considered a communication, three elements have to exist. Number one, the command. Number two, explaining the command. And number three, what they call tawjih or guidance, being part and parcel of the instruction to further ease the acceptance of the command by the one receiving the command. Right? This is what I've come across. And by Allah, by pondering over the address of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the ayat of Siyam, I have seen these elements exist manifestly. Right? Allah says, Kutiba alikumus siyam. Here's the command. This is the command. Right? Fasting has been made obligatory upon you. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala goes on to offer the guidance immediately. That just in case you think this is, impo- this is something impossible from Allah, Allah says, كَمَا كُتِبَ عَلَى الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِكُمْ We've made it compulsory upon you just like we made it compulsory upon those before. Right? Now immediately this eases the anxiety because you know that the people of before used to do it. And we never used to hear from the stories of the people of the past that they used to pass away from fasting. So immediately the anxiety is released. Then Allah explains why we have the command. Allah says, لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ That perhaps you may attain taqwa. 
taqwa, which we loosely translate as God consciousness, as piety, as the fear of the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But in reality, taqwa is a universal term and we need another one hour lecture to explain it. Right? For those who have internet, there's a talk that I did uh, in London last year uh, on taqwa. If, if, you, if, you, if you search it, Taqwa time, Sajid Umar, this talk will come up. I encourage you to listen to this talk before Ramadan. So at least you understand what you're chasing during this month. It's important. Allah doesn't give us anything without an objective, without a goal. And today sadly we see the Muslims enter the month as if it's a norm, without chasing a goal. And they end the month and they don't know exactly what they have achieved from the month. They don't have metrics. We can't benchmark ourselves against any quantifiable element to understand if we were successful or not. And a Muslim should not tread the earth aimlessly. Right? As we find in the Quran, Allah saying, فَأَيْنَ تَذْهَبُونَ This was a message from the Prophet to the people. That what are you doing with this? Where are you going with this? It's important that every Muslim also asks himself or herself, well, hold on a second, where am I going with this? I attend taraweeh every night. I wake up for suhoor every morning. And I fast every day. Where am I going with this? Allah helps us. Allah helps us by setting a target. And that target is, or the alma meter as we would say is taqwa. Right? Which we loosely translate as God consciousness. But please listen to the talk so you're better prepared to appreciate its meaning. Allah says, لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ Perhaps you may attain taqwa. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shared the command. He shared the reason behind the command. And He shared guidance. And throughout the rest of the ayat, he goes on to share further guidance. But before that, let's just park on لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ Because brothers and fathers, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ That there's nothing behind you as a creation except that you were created to do what? To worship Allah. Right? To worship Allah. But have we ever asked ourselves, why do we worship Allah? Allah tells us in Surah Al-Baqarah, يَا أَيُّهَا النَّاسُ عْبُدُوا رَبَّكُمُ الَّذِي خَلَقَكُمْ وَالَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِكُمْ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ Allah tells us in Surah Al-Baqarah, the objective behind worship. Subhanallah. Allah says the objective behind you being creative is Allah's worship. And the objective behind you being created to worship Allah is so that you attain taqwa. This is really the ultimate goal, my dear brothers and fathers. This is what we need to be chasing with the waking of every day and the sleeping of every night. Allah says, O mankind, أُعْبُدُوا رَبَّكُمْ Worship your Lord, الَّذِي خَلَقَكُمْ The one who created you, وَالَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِكُمْ And the one who created those before you, لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ So that you may attain taqwa. You may gain this God consciousness, this ability to erect a barrier between yourself and the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala goes on to lessen our anxiety by saying, أَيَّامًا مَعْدُودَاتِ For those who feel, subhanallah, Allah has told us to fast. Is it for a year? Is it for two years? Is it for six months? Allah says it's a limited number of days. But then Allah goes on and He lowers the anxiety of the other elements of society. Allah says, فَمَنْ كَانَ مِنْكُمْ مَرِيضًا As for the one who's sick, أو على سفر, or the one who's traveling, فَعِدَّةٌ مِنْ أَيَّامٍ أُخَى Then you can postpone the fast till after Ramadan. Till after you return and you settled. So Allah has now eased the anxiety of all these other elements of society. Then Allah says, وَعَلَى الَّذِينَ يُطِيقُونَهُ فِدْيَةٌ تُعَامُ مِسْكِينَ Because now we have those people in society who might have chronic illness. They might be terminally ill. They might be experiencing old age. 
So Allah says, as for those who find it impossible to fast, then for them is to feed a poor person for every day in Ramadan. Now very quickly before we move on, just to talk about sickness, because this is a common question that comes, that when am I allowed to leave fasting because of sickness? And our scholars, rahmatullahi alayhim, and those present, hafidhahumullah, they have given us an amazing principle for us to benchmark our sickness against to understand whether we qualify. They say that if the fasting delays you getting cure, you are allowed to leave the fast. And if the fast exacerbates your sickness, you are allowed to leave the fast. And if fasting causes the fast to be felt by you in a way far greater than how you would normally feel it, then here too you are allowed to leave the fast. Any one of these three, from a Sharia perspective, mandates the permissibility of you postponing the fast till after Ramadan. I'll repeat, anyone who's sick, and they feel, if I fast, I'm going to delay getting better. This happens. Sometimes you delay the medication, it delays you getting better. For you, you're allowed to postpone the fast. Let's say a person doesn't feel that uh, fasting will delay his cure. But he feels, if I fast, my sickness will exacerbate. Meaning it will become more intensive. The sharia here also allows you in this circumstance and instance to postpone the fast till after Ramadan. Let's say we have a person who says, no, it won't exacerbate and it won't delay me getting poor, but I will feel the fast more, you know, in a far stronger way. I will, it will be more, more burdensome, it will be heavier on me than it would be on a normal day when I'm healthy. Here again, the sharia permits you to delay the fast. I hope that's clear. Right? And in terms of travel, then the shirt, this is a mercy from Allah, a further mercy. Why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, as long as you're traveling, you can postpone the fast. Allah never left the matter open to interpretation between the children of Adam. Because we know difficulty during travel is relative. Right? Some people travel and they can fast, they don't feel it. Some people travel and they feel it. Some people say, well, we use air travel today, it's very easy. But to others, even air travel is difficult, right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, out of His mercy, He lifted personal reasoning in this matter. And He made the reason for leaving the fast travel. As long as the norm tells you that this is travel, you can leave the fast. Irrespective of if you feel the fast or you don't feel the fast. However, if you can fast, then my advice is to fast. It's better for you. Why? Because firstly, it is the month of Ramadan. Ramadan. Secondly, because it's quicker in you completing the obligation. Because if we don't, we have a debt on our shoulders between us and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, for those who are sick, as for those who are terminally ill, they can feed a poor person for every day missed in the month. Anas ibn Malik, he was from the companions of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam that lived the longest. Some reports say he passed uh, 100 years of age. And for those who uh, study the Hanafi madhab, we find many scholars from the madhab who say that Abu Hanifa rahimahullah, he was from the tabi'i. Why? From the tabi'in. Why? Because he met a sahabi. And from the, uh, the companions that they mentioned that he met when he was young was Anas ibn Malik uh, because he was based in Kufa which was also the place of uh, Imam Abi Hanifa uh, this uh, uh, companion of the Prophet وسلم, at that age he couldn't fast and the reports state that at the beginning of Ramadan he would gather 30 people and feed them he would feed them so that his debt is paid in advance 
right? Because this is the only option he has. And Alhamdulillah, Allah has taken care of this group in society, right? In this ayah when Allah says, وَعَلَى الَّذِينَ يُطِيقُونَهُ فِدْيَةٌ طَعَامُ مِسْكِينَ now, my dear fathers and brothers, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala further on, He says, That Allah wants easiness for you and He doesn't want difficult, that which is difficult for you. Allah is announcing to us that, O oh servant of Allah and O oh child of Adam, yes, leaving this food and drink and so on and so forth has its difficulty. But understand that this is easy. This is easy. Many a time, we judge what's easy and what's difficult based on the perception of our own mind. Right? But what's more correct is for us to look at the sources of the Sharia, traverse through the Sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, journey through the Quran, and from there we can understand that the Sharia has a different meter in terms of teaching us what is ease and what is difficult. Why, my dear brothers and fathers? Because the sharia is holistic. It judges ease and difficulty not based on this life till before the grave, but rather this life till before the grave and the life after. Many a time we only look at easiness, what's easy and what's difficulty now. As a human being living today, the sharia doesn't. It's looking at tomorrow as well. Our standing in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? And the Sharia would never command us to something and leave us just like this. It never happens. Right? Allah has told us that we need to chase taqwa. But Allah is going to help us because Allah created us and He knows us better than we know ourselves. If we leave it to them and, and leave them to have a choice in it, they're going to do themselves harm. So Allah prescribes the month of Ramadan. Prescribes the month of Ramadan. He prescribes it, there's no choice in the matter. And it's good for you. Yes, leaving food is difficult. But you know what? You know what? Not having taqwa is even more difficult. Thus understand that the net result of this situation is you are in ease. You are in ease. Leaving food and drink is easy than leaving taqwa. May Allah grant us taqwa. Ameen. Now Allah says, لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ that perhaps you may acquire taqwa. Allah doesn't say fast so that you can be God conscious. You can gain taqwa. Allah says perhaps. Why does Allah say perhaps? The scholars of tafsir, rahmatullahi alayhim, they say this la'alla, this uh, presence in the ayah, is excitement for you and I to apply ourselves. That it's not about fasting and the net result is taqwa. No, it's about fasting and seeking taqwa through your fast. You have to seek it. You know, many people ask and say, people fast the month of Ramadan. But then on Eid day, the family squabbles still exist. The community squabbles still exist. People are not making salam to each other. Where's the taqwa? How can disunity on a day of unity still exist when people fasted the month of Ramadan? Shouldn't taqwa dissolve, dissolve these shackles of shaitan that he puts us in during the 11 months of the year? The answer is yes, fasting should. However, the fast in which a person fasts and he seeks taqwa through it. He seeks taqwa through it. When he fasts, his ego is molded. When he fasts, his heart is molded to conform to taqwa. When he fasts, his mind is molded to conform to taqwa. When he fasts, his nafs, his self is molded 
to conform to taqwa. Taqwa has a specific shape. You need to mold yourself so that you now can accept the shape of taqwa. It's not something where there's a mismatch, like you're trying to put a square in a circle. It's not going to work, right? They talk about square pegs in round circles. can never happen, and we've heard this in the English language, right? And this is another issue that happens today. We have lost sight and track of la'allakum tattaqun. We think we fast, and it's going to come by default. And this is incorrect. This is incorrect. This is not Jannah, my dear brothers and fathers. This is the dunya. The reality of the dunya is it doesn't have a static graph. It has a dynamic graph. You're going to have ups and you're going to have downs. You're going to be happy, you're going to be sad. Things are going to be for you and things are going to be against you. This is the reality of the dunya. But the believer has been nurtured to manage the ups and the downs. And we know that Rasulullah said that the true believer is always in goodness. When the downs affect him, he's patient, and that is good for him. And when he's in goodness, he's thankful, and that is good for him. And this goodness cannot be except for a believer. We sadly take Ramadan, which is an ibadah, and we somehow converted it into an adah. We've taken an act of worship and, ta- and turned it into a norm. So we fast because everybody fasts. And we attend taraweeh because everybody attends taraweeh. This is how it is. Right? We wake up for suhoor because we have to wake up for suhoor. So, the only thing that fasted Ramadan was the body. The only thing that witnessed Ramadan was the body. And we forget that Allah has not just made us a body, but He made us a mind, He made us a heart, He made us a soul, and He made us a nafs, a self. The nafs, the scholars say, refers to the, the, the body attached to the ruh outside of the womb of the mother. You and I right now, this is what the nafs refers to. And sometimes people ask and say, what's the difference between ruh and nafs? The ruh is the soul by itself. But when the ruh is attached to the body outside of the womb of the mother, it's referred to a nafs. Right? It's referred to a nafs. All these elements have to experience Ramadan, my dear brothers and fathers. لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ Mandates that all these elements witness Ramadan. When you wake up for suhoor, your heart wakes up for suhoor. That barakah which Allah is, sh- is, is showering at the time of suhoor upon the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam is wasted if your body only receives it. If the heart receives it, this is more beneficial. But our hearts are asleep while the body is awake. We fast, the body fasts. The heart doesn't fast. And we know that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam said that the one who does not leave false speech and the one who does not leave working with falsehood, then Allah is not in need of you leaving your food and your drink. He's not in need of it. Right? And Allah says in Surah Al-Hajj that, you know, it's not the blood and the meat that reaches Allah when you sacrifice during the days of Hajj for the Hujjaj and for the non-pilgrims when we, when we observe the Udhiyah back home. Right? Allah says it's not the blood and the meat that reaches Allah. It's the taqwa, it's the piety that you did it because Allah commanded you. This is the reality, my dear brothers and fathers. Right? It's the taqwa. And the place of taqwa is the heart. As Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa said. So we fast bodily. The heart is not fasting. And we know that the tongue represents what's in the heart. This is a fact. This is a fact. So if the heart, if the tongue is speaking bad, it means the heart hasn't fasted today. So we lose taqwa for that day. We come for the taraweeh prayer. The heart is not there, it's just the body. Wallahi, this body gets tired. And that's why, yes, we complain. It happens, right? 
it happens, we get tired if the imam is too slow, if the imam is practicing a bit of tajweed, you know, he's showcasing it. Sometimes it affects certain elements of society because the body has attended the prayer. Wallahi, this heart, when it's attached to Allah, it can never get tired. Uthman ibn Affan, radiyallahu anhu, he would recite the Quran so much that he would wail and he would cry in his home. But the homes were very thin those days, that the people on the streets of Medina, they could hear him. And they would say, Ya Uthman, this is enough. This is not the way you need to be reciting the Quran. You need to, you need to take a break. And you know what he would respond to them saying? That if a person knew the reality of the Quran, they would delete the word enough from their vocabulary. Subhana Rabbi Al-Ahla. Right? Right? And as the poet once said, Ulaika Aba'i Fajitni Bimithrihim, that these are the forefathers who bring me people like them. Where is the Ummah today? Where are those elements today, O servants of Allah and O children of Adam? Allah says in the Quran, Ulaika Ladina Hadallah Fabihudahu Muqtadi. Allah talks about his prophets and says, Those are the people that Allah showered guidance upon. So if you want to take a guide, take guide, take as a guide the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they never behaved in this way. They applied themselves, they hard fasted. And you know what my dear brothers and fathers, a lot of the time we speak about, you know, Abu Bakr and Umar and Uthman and uh, you know those giants that work, walked the face of this earth, those giants that you and I are trying to balance upon their shoulders, yes, we talk about them with greatness, with happiness, but by Allah, were they known for a lot of salah? Were they known for a lot of zakah? Were they known for a lot of fasting? I haven't come across a report where from the companions were those who would read the Quran in one night and pray Fajr with the wudu of Isha. Right? But when we talk about Imam Shafi'i rahimahullah and Imam Abi Hanifa rahmatullahi alayhi, we have these reports from the Tabi'een. But the Sahaba were still greater than them. Why? What did they have that beat everybody else that will come to the day of Qiyamah? They had the worship of the heart at a level that nobody else after them could reach. That's what it was. That's what it was. It wasn't that the salah was, was there, but when a calamity strikes, they doubted Allah and they complained about Allah. No, subhanallah, their heart, the taqwa, the iman, right? The, 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 the raja and the khawf, all these elements of the heart, they, they reached a level with it that nobody after them would reach it. And today we are so absorbed on the body. Wallahi, if we want to grow and we take them as a guide, work on the heart. And when the heart is fixed, the body will become fixed. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, أَلَا إِنَّ لِلْجَسَدِ مُدْغَةِ إِذَا صَلَحَتْ صَلُحَ الْجَسَدُ كُلُّهُ وَإِذَا فَسَدَتْ فَسَدَ الْجَسَدُ كُلُّهُ أَلَا وَهِيَ الْقَلْبِ He says sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, there's one piece of flesh. If you fix it, your entire body will be fixed. And if you leave it, the entire body will be left. It's the heart. It's the heart. When the heart, you know, and I've seen it working with new Muslims. That they were upon alcohol and music and haram and facade. And all of a sudden you see them becoming very agitated if they hear music. What's changed is the same ear. It's the same earlobe. It's the same eardrum. It's the same brain. But yesterday, it was the most beloved thing to them. Today, literally, you see instant agitation if there's music. What's happened? What changed in them? It was the heart. When the heart changed, everything changed accordingly. So Allah says, لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ That perhaps you may attain, understand, my oh, servants of Allah, it's not easy. And I told you last year, just, just you know, in the lecture just before Eid, 
when, when, when I came back, we, I said, subhanAllah, I remember saying this here, that Allah tells us about taqwa how many times in the Qur'an? Countless times. Countless times. But how many times does He mention siyam? How many times does He mention Ramadan? You can count it on your fingers. By Allah, you can. Taqwa, countless times. But fasting, which is a pillar from the pillars of Islam, you can count it on the fingers of one hand in the Qur'an. Why? You know, you and I as human beings, when things are important, what do we have a habit of doing? We repeat. Right? When we tell our child something, we repeat the instruction. Did you do it? Did you do, are you sure you did it? Please do it. We'll phone. Did you do it? Just making sure. Right? Don't forget to do it. We repeat the instruction. Why? It's important. Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He repeats taqwa, 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 but fasting a few times. Why? Allah is telling us for those who ponder. He's telling us for those who ponder. Fasting is easy. Taqwa is hard. Fasting is easy. Taqwa is hard. So let's, let's take from this, O servants of Allah, and O children of Adam, this wonderful way of address, firstly, how Allah addresses us in the Qur'an. This is the way we need to address the ummah, and let us understand the application of taqwa in our life. We must not have a day of Eid where taqwa doesn't exist. You know, the scholars say, if you want to judge, if you had a successful Ramadan, ask yourself, there's certain good acts before Ramadan which you wanted to do and you never used to do. Have you started doing them? If you are, you had a successful Ramadan. And ask yourself, there are those sins which you used to do. You know that backbiting, carelessly did. Slandering, we used to carelessly do. The ego, we used to keep on growing. That haram which Allah doesn't like. If that has become disliked to you after Ramadan, then that's a sign that your Ramadan was accepted. It's all good to miss Ramadan after Ramadan. And it's all good to count the days to Ramadan when Ramadan is coming. But understand, O servant of Allah and O children of Adam, Ramadan is a responsibility. It's a guest that has come to our home. And there's a responsibility on ourselves to be dutiful to that guest. You know, even if we take it from the other angle, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Man kana yu'min billah wal yawmil akhir fal yukrim dayfahu. That the one who believes in Allah on the last day must honor his or her guest. Ramadan is that guest coming. You have to honor Ramadan. And by Allah, if you honor Ramadan, it will give you more than you can quantify in terms of financial standing, material well-being, because it gives you taqwa. What more do you need? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says it in his book, on the tongue of Ibrahim alayhi salam, يَوْمَ لَا يَنْفَعُ مَالُوا وَلَا بَنُونَ إِلَّا مَنْ أَتَ اللَّهَ بِقَلْبٍ سَلِيمٍ The day of Qiyamah is that day that nobody's wealth or children will benefit them. The only benefit you will have in front of Allah is a clean, pure heart. That heart filled with that taqwa. If Ramadan came and left you a taqwa by Allah, you have won. You have won. So ensure that we chase taqwa. My dear brothers and fathers, in the second raka'ah, we read Surah Al-Qadr, or Laylatul, uh, the Surah about Laylatul Qadr. Very quickly. The people of the past, they would live for up to a thousand years or more. So by default, they had a chance to build their Jannah in a way that you and I could not. Because we only live on average between 60 and 70 years. If we look at Nuh alayhi salam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent him to his people just to do da'wah for 950 years. If we take the norm of Allah in terms of when he makes someone a prophet to be at 40, 
If we add 40 to 950, we have 990. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in his book that he showered upon Nuh and the people with Nuh after the floods, barakah. And barakah entails a longer life and longer sustenance. Which means that we do not understand from the story of Nuh in the Quran that he passed away immediately after the ark docked. Rather, he lived longer, right? So he passed a thousand years. This is evidence the people before they lived very long. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is just. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is merciful. So Allah didn't give us a chance to, to, to have that which they had. Allah gave us better. Let me explain how. You know, brothers and fathers, how difficult it is to wake up every day and spend that day pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We know how difficult it is. Imagine if you lived for a thousand years and you had to wake up every day for one thousand years pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That would be very difficult. Right? So Allah has given us better. Allah says you live between 60 and 70. A much easier task than the daunting task of those who live for a thousand years. And as a gift, Allah will give you the night of power. Which gives you the ability to build your Jannah in a way better than those who lived for a thousand years. Why? Because Allah says that for those who are diligent during one night, then Allah will give them a reward better than a thousand months, which equates to 83 years. If you catch it for 10 years, that's 830 years. If you catch it for 20 years of the 60 years that Allah will keep you alive for, may Allah preserve us in His obedience, then surely you've, you've surpassed those who came before. In terms of building your Jannah, digging your streams, planting your forests, and, and building your real estate, right? Because our Jannah is there, but Allah gives us based on our deeds. So the Jannah is beautified as you and I operate, as you and I act. Because this is what La ilaha illallah does. It connects us to our paradise. There's a line that is opened up between us and the paradise. And that's why the scholars say, Rahmatullahi alayhim, that a Muslim is one, that when he walks in this world, it's felt in his Jannah. There's pitter-patter in his Jannah. Just like when you throw a pebble into a pond and the ripples get to the other side. You didn't throw the, the stone on the other side. But the other side of the pond knows that a stone was here. Why? Because it's received the ripples. The results of that stone being thrown in. This is the same way we need to live in this world. That when we speak, Jannah is moving. When we walk, Jannah is moving. When we sleep, Jannah is moving. When we wake up, Jannah is moving. This is what we do. We are here to build our paradise before we get there. So Allah has given us Laylatul Qadr. Now, Laylatul Qadr, or servants of Allah, and know children of Adam, for those who ponder, is a season of worship within a season of worship. So I mean, if you're going to thank Allah for Ramadan, now that you know that Ramadan is a season of worship, and in it Allah gives us another season of worship, then by Allah, what praise and thanks does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala deserve? And how should we be begging Allah to make us reach Ramadan? And begging Allah to make us witness Laylatul Qadr? If we understand the importance of it, then surely we, we want it. And if we want it, then the way to it starts with the dua. Because all success begins with dua, as we know. Right? Allah says in His book, وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ يُزَكِّي مَنْ يَشَاءُ بَلِ اللَّهُ يُزَكِّي مَنْ يَشَاءُ وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ حَبَّبَ إِلَيْكُمُ الْإِيمَانِ Allah says in his book that it is Allah who purifies whom he wills. It is Allah who made iman beloved to you. So if we understand 
that all success starts with Allah, then we have to start with dua. So perhaps this week, we will intensify our asking from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala regarding us and Ramadan, regarding us and Laylatul Qadr. One last thing, my dear brothers and fathers, Allah says, شَهْرُ رَمَضَانَ الَّذِي أُنزِلَ فِيهِ الْقُرْآنِ We recited this in the first raka'ah. Allah says the month of Ramadan is the month that Allah chose to reveal the Qur'an. And it's, it's not surprising, because when we look at the Qur'an, it's the best revelation. And everything about it, up to it reaching us, never existed upon any platform except the platform of quote-unquote the best. If you think about it, Allah gave us the best revelation to the best messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, via the best angel Jibreel alayhi salam, in the best language, the Arabic language, during the best night, Laylatul Qadr, during the best month, the month of Ramadan, in the best of places, Makkatul Mukarramah, right? Everything about it is the best if we pondered over it. And in this book, Allah says, we, the Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, are the best of all nations. Right? So Allah revealed it in Ramadan. But we know Laylatul Qadr, and we know that Allah revealed it on Laylatul Qadr. But we know Laylatul Qadr is a night we have to search for. Because Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam taught us that it exists during the last ten nights. And he taught us that it exists during the odd nights. And he taught us that it exists during the last seven nights. And he taught us that it exists on the 27th night. In another narration, the 23rd night. So we understand from the different narrations that Laylatul Qadr has uh, different appointments during every Ramadan. Right? So how was the Qur'an revealed on Laylatul Qadr? And the night bounces from night to night. Well, there's a simple answer to that question. Allah is telling us that Allah revealed it during the night of power, during that year when it was revealed. When that night of power existed, during that year, Allah revealed His book. The other question that comes up is, if the Qur'an was revealed in 23 years, how is it that Allah says He revealed it in the month of Ramadan? Is there a contradiction here? And the answer to that question is no. Ibn Abbas radiallahu an, in a narration which is considered to be marfu' or raised to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, because he, this is from the unseen, he couldn't have said it from himself. Even though he's teaching it, he had to have taken it from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, because it's to do with the unseen. He says that the Qur'an was revealed to us in two stages. The first stage was the revelation of the Qur'an from Allah al-Mahfuz, which is the preserved tablet, to Al-Bayt al-Izzah, which is referred to as the house of honor, which exists in the first heaven. This was the first stage of revelation. And this is the revelation that happened in Ramadan and on Laylatul Qadr. So it came in one chunk from Allah al-Mahfuz to the first heaven, on the night of power, in the month of Ramadan. And from there it was revealed in stages, in piecemeal, over the course of 23 years, the lifespan of the prophethood of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So this is the answer uh, to that particular question. O servants of Allah and O children of Adam, we ask Allah to bless these words, to bless us all, and to make us people who are diligent during this month. One thing I'm going to say as the closing statement is that, you know, Allah, Ali radiallahu an, I recall it being a statement of Ali radiallahu an. He says, Inna fitnatain. He says, Allah has hidden two things in two things. He's hidden two things in two things. 
The first thing that is hidden is our knowledge of his happiness after we worship him. He's kept that hidden. We'll never know. And the second thing that is hidden is the knowledge of his awliya from amongst us. And that's why we shouldn't be declaring people to be awliya. We can say we have hope that they're awliya. But to say this person is a wali before the day of judgment, this is incorrect. Why? Because we know we believe in the day of judgment. If judgment hasn't happened, how can we declare anything? If Rasulullah declared it, then that's fine. But nobody can declare it from themselves because judgment is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? And this is one of, one of the, the flaws in Christianity because they believe in sainthood whilst they believe in the day of judgment. And this is a contradiction. That who is giving sainthood before the day of judgment happened? So Ali says that Allah has hidden knowledge of his awliya from amongst us. Now ponder over this my dear brothers and fathers. You know Allah is not trying to do one negative to us by keeping our knowledge of his happiness after we worship him. Rather Allah knows us better than we know ourselves. Right? So Allah knows that you and I as a creation, if we had the meter, you know the scorecard of acceptances versus, versus rejection, we would probably live with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in that way. Our relationship would probably be based on the scorecard. You know, I got so many positives, now I can relax. Now the negatives are coming up, I need to do some good. So to avoid this disrespect, it's hidden. But also, after much pondering, Allah has opened upon me another, subhanallah, perhaps this is another reason why Allah has kept our knowledge of His happiness hidden. And that is because there's another act of worship known as husnudhwan, having good hope in Allah. Having good hope in Allah. That if Allah keeps our knowledge of His acceptance hidden, after we worship Him, we can, con- we can engage another act of worship, known as husnudhwan. And have good hope in Allah, that Allah has accepted our ibadah, and that has its own reward set for it as well. So basically we worshiped Allah with salah, or with fasting, or with taraweeh, or with suhoor, or with dua, or with Qur'an. And after that we had good hope in Allah, that Allah has accepted it. So it became like a bonus round for the Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Subhana Rabbi al So Allah has kept it hidden, so we never become lackadaisical, if I can use the term, with the rights of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah has kept the knowledge of His awliya hidden, so we do not become lackadaisical looking after the rights of the servants of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If we knew who the awliya were, we would become very picky, right? Who our friends would be, right? It's true. We would become very picky who we'd be good to, right? Because we know whose du'as are connected. Right? This is human nature. So Allah has kept our knowledge of His awliya hidden, so that we strive to be good to all of the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And yes, perhaps a day will come when you will be good to someone who Allah knows is His wali. And this person makes dua for you, and it's the opening of your dunya and akhirah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us this. So my dear brothers and fathers, the summary of the entire talk is, وَأَحْسِنْ 
كَمَا أَحْسَنَ اللَّهُ إِلَيْكَ Do good as Allah has done good to you and I. Allah has done nothing but good to us in giving us Ramadan, in how He declared Ramadan compulsory upon us, in the structure of the ayat, in the way, uh, the stages in which Ramadan uh, became compulsory, in the fact that He placed in it Laylatul Qadr, in the fact that He gave us the best revelation. Allah has only done good for us and the only person who won't get to Jannah is the one who refuses. This is the reality. Allah has given us every opportunity to get into Jannah. As Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, كُلُّكُمْ كُلُّكُمْ تَدْخُلُونَ الْجَنَّةِ إِلَّا مَنْ أَبَى That each and every one of you will enter Jannah, except the one who refuses. And the Sahaba asked, who refuses to get into Jannah? And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, مَنْ أَطَاعَنِي دَخَلَ الْجَنَّةِ وَمَنْ عَصَانِي دَخَلَ النَّارِ that the one who follows my way, follows it, not just with the body, but with the heart as well, that person will get to Jannah. And the one who doesn't, then that person goes to the hellfire. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive our past and inspire our futures. And may Allah preserve us in His obedience and grant us good health. And may Allah forgive our mistakes during the past Ramadans. And may Allah convert those mistakes into rewards and give it to us. And may Allah make us diligent during this Ramadan. And may Allah truly make us experience this Ramadan and make us from the people of Taqwa during the day of Eid. Those people who forgive others. Those people who pass the salam to those that they perhaps don't make salam to. Those people who forgive their families even if their families are wrong for the sake of Allah subhanahu celebrating the true gift of Ramadan which is taqwa. May Allah unite us upon His obedience and unite us upon His happiness. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us death only when He's happy with us. Ameen. And grant us death only when Jannah has been declared for us. Ameen. May Allah grant us a grave which is a garden from the gardens of Jannah. May Allah grant us shade underneath His arsh on the day of Qiyamah and gather us underneath His arsh as He has gathered us here in this message today. Ameen. May Allah grant us our book of deeds in our right hands and grant us speed on the bridge leading towards Jannah. And may Allah not only grant us Jannah, but may Allah make us neighbors all together to our beloved Muhammad ibn Abdullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Everything correct said is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he is perfect. And any mistakes are from myself and shaytan and I seek Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's forgiveness. سبحان الله وبحمده سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك أشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت أستغفرك وأتوب إليك وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته